This is The Parenting Show with Pina Crispo from ChicMama.ca. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Happy Sunday and welcome to The Parenting Show. I'm your host, Pina Crispo of ChicMama.ca. And guys, I have been stressing out about something. And I'm sure that I'm not the only parent stressing out. And it has to do with my kids, more specifically, Samantha, who's um, 11. And, um, you know, she's been having the talks about what happens when you hit a certain age. You know, they, they've been talking about that at school and we've been having the chats here at home. But but I need some help. I need some help because this is my first kid and I know that puberty is going to hit. You know what? I don't even know if it hit already to a certain extent. You know what I mean? So I was like, who do I bring on for help? I'm like, because I, I can't be the only one. So, of course. I brought on Dr. Dina Kulik, who's a pediatrician and founder of Kid Crew Medical. Dr. Dina, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And I know your schedule's insane because not only are you a pediatrician and the founder of Kid Crew Medical, which is like an amazing clinic, by the way. Um, how many children do you have? Four kids. What are their ages? They're five, seven, 10, and almost 12. Like, that's busy. That's one busy mama. So we both have kids that are 12. And your 12-year-old is a boy, correct? They're all boys. All my kids are oh, boys. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're all boys. Um, So you've got a 12-year-old boy. I've got a 12-year-old girl. Is this the time when things start to happen? Absolutely. Like For boys, we're just starting to see the beginnings of puberty at about 12, uh, most typically, but many girls are very much in the thick of it. In fact, many girls have already even had their periods by the time they turn 12. I know. And that is something that Samantha over the summer was like, mama, she's like, I'm worried. I'm like, what are you worried about? Um, like, I honestly did not know where this conversation was going. She's like, well, she's like, what if I'm at school and I get my period? And I'm like, oh, the, this is where we're going with it. I'm like, okay, valid concern, like legit. I'm like, well, I'm like, I guess we just need to prepare for it. And I was like, but does anyone, do any of your friends have their period? She's like, oh yeah. Dr. Dina, was it like this when we were younger? Or did, I don't know, did the age change? Like I I can't remember for the life of me how old I was when I got my period. Hmm. But I'm thinking, no, it wasn't 12. I was older than that. It's quite possible you were 12. So in the 80s and 90s, it was around age 12. The girls got their first period in North America. And now it's about 11 and a half. So it hasn't changed too much. But most likely, a lot of our friends have probably had their periods or will be getting it very soon. Okay. So we got to start at the basics here, okay? Like, are is there anything that we need to look for? Are there any like signs that like give us that like, you know, radars going off like, okay, it's, it's on its way. Or is it just going to come out of left field? And then we're just going to be like deer caught in headlights. <laughs> no, not at all. Absolutely. There's signs. So when we are looking at signs of puberty, we use what's called the tenor staging. And so for girls, we're looking at both breast development and also hair development um, around the groin. So in terms of breast development, when you're prepubescent, not yet in any way entering puberty, we see that they just have nipples, there's no areola, there's no breast tissue, and there's no hair on top of the vulva. When you go into 10 or 2, 
which on average is about two to two and a half years before a girl gets their period. That's when we start to see breast buds. So these are basically elevated areolas, sometimes tender, sometimes asymmetric, and they get swollen. And we start to see more fine downy hair kind of in the groin area. Then 10 or three, which is usually in a year to year and a half before their period, they have more coarse, darker hair on top of the vulva, but only really in like the triangle area and not on the legs yet. And they're also developing actual breast tissue underneath the areola. So I draw this for families all the time, and it's sort of like a layered cake. So 10 or one, you just have a nipple, just a little bump. 10 or two, you have the areola bump, the breast bud, and the nipple. So two layered cake. 10 or three, you have breast tissue and a big areola and a nipple. So three layered cake. And by the time you hit 10 or four, which is typically when girls will get their period, the breast tissue that is more skin tone is usually the biggest. The areola, which is a bit darker, is now more flat. It's less raised and usually less tender. And they have a nipple. And then in 10 or four with the groin, they have hair on top of the triangle area and also into the legs. And that's usually when they get their period. Okay. So we're doing the show from Zoom. And Dr. Dina is probably looking at the look on my face because I feel like I'm going to pass out. I don't know if I'm ready for this, Dr. Dina. Well, you'll you'll know where you're at based on looking at those things with tenor staging. But nothing really different happens when they get their period. I mean, sure, they have to think about, you know, preparing themselves for that time. But it's also very common when girls first get their period that it doesn't become this regular monthly every 28 to 31 day thing that is more common when you're an adult like us. Some girls will get their period and not again have a period for even another year or longer, or they can get it twice in a month, or they might have it twice this month and then not for another six months and then not again for a month. And it's really unpredictable. And very rarely is it like red blood that more adult women would have. It's often, you know, brown, rusty, you know, kind of dry, not voluminous, though it could be. You could have a more typical what adult women think of a period from the get-go, but most typically they have, you know, very light kind of staining and it doesn't last, you know, four or five days and it isn't typically every single month at the beginning. Okay, so... um... I don't have to worry and I can I can tell Samantha that hey when when it happens if you happen to be at school like don't worry it's not going to be this like flood and you're not going to have to freak out that we we got to remain calm and I have to remain calm too we got to remain calm it's nothing to stress about right it's not likely going to be what people see in movies with like you stained your white pants and they're all red that is very unlikely. It's possible, but not that common. But now there's so many more options, right? When we were growing up, you know, we carried these like thick, ridiculous pads. I remember what my a mom mattress. gave me. Yeah, it was like literally a mattress. It was it was like what I used postpartum, right? Now, now yes. I think back and I was like, that's exactly what I used, you know, after I had my babies. But um, now there's obviously so many more options, but there's also period underwear, which I think is a game changer for adult women, but also for these girls getting their period. Because if they're worried, they might get it. You're thinking, you know, they're 10 or four. I see the signs of puberty. You know, I feel like it's around the corner. That's when they can start wearing something like period panties, which have some absorbency to them. So that if they have it and they're not wearing a pad, they're not likely to get their pants bloody if it happens to be that kind of period. Okay. And then you also mentioned that, you know, it's not something that right out of the, nor the pun, out of the floodgates, um, 
you know, it's not something that is going to be like, you know, every 28 days. It varies from individual to individual, right? So how long does it usually take to get that cycle, that 28th cycle or whatever cycle going? It's variable. It's very variable. But um, I hear from kids all the time that they haven't had regular cycles up to two years. It is very common to have what we call anovulatory cycles. That's when an egg isn't dropping. Hence, they're not having like a typical, you know, real period that we would expect as adult women. That could happen for two years. But there's also kids that have, you know, regular periods right from the get-go. It is not predictable. But the unpredictability of it is actually more stressful for families, I find. Because if you if you know as a young person, I'm going to get it in 28 days, at least you could plan for that. But when it isn't predictable like that, sometimes that is stressful because kids don't know, am I going to get it tomorrow? Am I going to get it next week? Am I going to get it twice this month or not for four months? And they often think there's something wrong with their bodies, which is why I always talk about puberty in these ways with families to let them know, set the scene that they may not have it regularly. They might have it more often than a month, et cetera. That's good to know because honestly, like, I, Samantha was asking me, she's like, mama, how was it for you? How old were you? And I'm like, you know what, for the life of me, I cannot remember. I remember it being summertime, um, but that is it. And I was going out with my old, two older sisters and I was like, oh, I don't feel good, you know? And uh, I had some cramping, but I don't recall if I was, you know, what my cycle was like. I don't remember um, if it was like, heavy, light. I don't remember the details, right? So I don't remember the details either. I, I don't remember anything about it except the day I got it. And I, I remember it not being like red blood as I would expect. And I have three brothers. So I had no like older, you know, siblings to talk about this with. And my mom didn't really talk about this with me too much. Um, and as we're going to recover it and seeing these most ridiculous thick pads that uh, truly it's like postpartum pads. That's what she used her entire adult life. And um, I don't know, it's not what, what I have uh, become accustomed to. But I remember going to recover it. And I was like, this like brown rusty stuff. Do I need this? Like it didn't there was a disconnect. I remember I was 12. But that is the only thing I remember about my first time. Oh, my God, I know. And that's the thing, right? So, okay, I've got to ask, actually, you know what, we have a few minutes, and I don't want to get into it. Because uh, this is like, this is important information and I really want to absorb everything. And I think everyone listening at home that, you know, might be in the same boat wants to do the same. So we are talking with Dr. Dina Kulik, pediatrician, mama and founder of Kid Crew Medical. And we're talking all about puberty. Don't go anywhere because this is the parenting show right here on AM640 Toronto Radio. You're listening to The Parenting Show with Pina Crispo from ChicMama.ca, Toronto's News. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. You are tuned into The Parenting Show right here on AM640 Toronto Radio. And I'm your host, Pina Crispo of ChicMama.ca. We are talking with Dr. Dina Kulik, the founder of Kid Crew Medical, pediatrician, and mama to four little ones. And uh, Dr. Dina, you're helping, you're helping me and all the parents out there out with some uh, with some info on puberty, right? That's right. So we're starting with the girls and we're talking about like periods because that is what's freaking me out big time. And, um, you know, we were talking off the air with our producer, Natasha, and she was saying, Natasha, by the way, I'm outing you right now. She was saying that she remembers getting her period and that it was like this dark brown and it was not what she expected whatsoever. 
Um, and I think that that's something that it, it's good to know, because like I said, Dr. Dina, I don't really remember the details of getting my period. So I haven't been able to share that with, you know, Samantha. So this is great. This is this is the information I need so then I can go back and help her out because I think a lot of parents think, you know, puberty, oh my God, it's going to hit. But we really don't take the time to think about what we can do to not only prepare our kids, but prepare ourselves. Mm, yes, I agree. I think we don't know what to expect as adults. And so how do we then prepare our kids? And if we're scared, if we're feeling vulnerable, what are we projecting on them? And then, of course, when we're talking about bleeding, a lot of kids get very fearful. It's a scary thing. Why is there this color coming out of my body, right? It's 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 fear-inducing. So if we're stressed about it, if we don't have that dialogue, it can make things a lot more scary for our kids. And I can't help but think about, so I've got, I've got two girls and a boy, right? Um, and so I'm thinking about, what about the dads out there that, you know, are full-time dads, there isn't a mom around, um, they don't have anything to base it off of, no personal experience, they don't know, you know, or vice versa, the moms that have boys, like Dr. Gina, like, you know, you've got four that you're going to go through puberty with, you know, and I'm, that's what I'm freaking out about too. Like Marcus, once he hits that age, because I'm like, I'm a female. I don't have those, those bits and pieces to me. I don't know how it works. Right. So, you know, like I said, we're, we're focusing on the girls right now. We're going to shift gears in a bit and talk about the boys, but for the girls, what can we do to prepare? I think having with their doctor, something comfortable because coming from another person, especially I find this all the time that I have these conversations with girls and boys in my practice with their parents. And often parents are learning like they didn't know these are yeah. the signs of puberty. They don't know how long do I have before the period comes. They're learning with me. And a lot of cases, I actually draw these pictures with the layered cake approach and parents want to take it because they actually want it for their own learning. So it's OK if you as an adult don't know the signs of puberty. It's OK if you've never really learned about periods initially or you know, the growth or the stages of development for a boy and a girl. It's okay if you don't know that. That's not something I would expect you to know. So even if you had a period, maybe you didn't, you know, as we didn't really pay attention to how it happened for us in our own lives. We were young people then. So I think it's reasonable, a great idea to have a conversation with your healthcare provider and to educate yourself. The difference when we were growing up, when we had our periods was now there's internet. Now there's many sources out there, plenty of terrible sources, but also <laughs> lots of good sources too. So you can learn, you can educate yourselves. You can look at those diagrams for Tanner staging. You can put in, you know, my son's penis looks like this, or, you know, his um, genitalia is changing in this way, or he's developing a beard, or, you know, my daughter is developing breasts. And you can see online, where does that place them? What can you expect next? When can you expect the period to come um, for a girl? So there's so much we can learn now that we didn't have access to. My mom, I think, knew nothing about periods. My dad certainly didn't. My brothers absolutely did not. And they wanted <laughs> nothing to do with it. Now a girl can go online. Now, the challenge with that is, though, is that there's lots of misinformation and, and you know, nonsense online. But mm -hmm. if you find good sources, you know, real educational sources, hospital sources, et cetera, you can really educate yourself. And if you are better, edu better educated, you can then prepare your child better as well. 
Okay. So there we go. First step guys is book those appointments with your healthcare provider and, and just have a little chat, start with a chat, which is something I always say on the show. Communication is key. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is, whether it's with your child, whether it's with your life partner, whether it's with friends, communication is key. So open up those lines of communication and have the chat. So number one chat. Um, what about like Samantha asked me, she's like, mama, she goes, can we prepare something for my knapsack in case something happens while I'm at school? So I was like, man, kid, you're smart. I didn't even think about that, but sure. So, um, okay, Dr. Dina, you got to tell me if I, if I did well or not. And if I'm missing anything crucial that we need to put in this little bag. So I, I, we got her like a little makeup case and in it, I put, um, some pads I also, um, oh, I don't know if this is allowed or not now that I'm thinking about it, but I also got her a little container and I put in uh, enough for one dose of Tylenol um, and I put some hand sanitizer and in a Ziploc bag, uh, a clean pair of underwear that then if she needs to, she can swap them out and then she ha- can put the dirty um, soiled ones in the Ziploc bag. Am I missing anything? Is that I think okay? that's perfect. I think it's perfect. One thing I would add to that, though, is show her how to use a pad. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they open it up and they're like, what is this? What are these wing things? What are the sticky parts? How do I put it down? They put it down op- opposite. They put it on that they get stuck to themselves. So actually demonstrating actually how to use a pad could be really helpful because we take it for granted. But how in the world would they know unless, again, mm-hmm. they've gone to the Internet? But I think now kids have done that. I mean, many of these kids have already searched up all these things and how to use a tampon and how to use a pad and all these ideas. So, um, yeah, but okay. everything else was, so- was perfect. A demo, a demo is needed. Show them how to use the pad. And I have to say, when I went to the store, I felt like, oh my God, I felt like a, probably a guy would feel like when he's going to the store to buy pads for his girlfriend. I was standing in front of the aisle, looking at all the pads as if I've never seen them before in my life. And if it's me, I know what I need to grab. I know what tampons I need to grab. I know what pads I need to grab. Um, But for her, I was like, what's a good starter pad? Like, is there something that we should be looking for specific to, you know, the, the, the tweens and the teens? I I would say so. I think that some of the companies have fun colors now or ones that are kind of more discreet. So it depends on the child or, you know, the, the teen, but I don't think it really matters. I think go thinner because no one wants this bulky mattress, as you described before. And those certainly still exist, but are not necessary. Again, recognizing that the first periods are likely to be quite light and you don't have a lot of blood. So you don't likely need something very thick. And I would do something with wings just because that fear factor for kids that they're going to leak is is so prevalent. So something with wings, something very, very thin. And you just need like one or two of them like you're it's, yes it'll be very unusual to have to change your pad frequently on the very first period that would be very very typical okay so they're not going to war you don't need to pack enough <laughs> to sustain them a month um and you said actually you brought something up uh before and i saw them but i didn't think about it being a great idea for samantha but you said the period panties and there's so many great companies that have them um you know i know that canadian company nixwear is a fantastic one and and i believe they actually just brought out a line specific to um the the younger girls so i'm going to i'm going to look into those okay so yeah they could be really helpful and and they can wear them every day you can wear them as an adult every day 
but they have some absorbency to them. And depending on which one they are, they can hold several pads or tampons worth of blood. So that confidence, I think, is really key. It's not so much that I'm worried kids are going to have this big mess at school, because again, that's very uncommon. But that confidence knowing if I have my period today, I don't need to be stressed about staining my white pants. I will have something on me that can absorb. And you can use those for forever. I have like some of these from Nick's that I've had for four or five years. And yeah, they, they last. Um, I have some they too. last a long time and, and you just wash them with your regular washing. And so it's, it's confidence there building. Okay. So we're going to check that out. And I don't know if this is like, you know, common sense or not, but we're, we should go with pads at first, right? Not tampons. There's nothing wrong with using, ta- using tampons early on, but again, it's that confidence thing. When you're not really sure what you're doing, you don't usually know your anatomy very well at that age. Plus, because the periods are not consistent, typically very light, we don't want to be putting in a tampon thinking you're going to have a lot of blood. Then we have to remove the tampon. If we haven't had a lot of blood, that's not comfortable nor safe for your body. So until the body is getting used to things, consistent amount of bleeding, predictable amount of bleeding. We don't want to use a tampon unless we know how much flow we're going to have because we don't want to be removing it if it's dry. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know what? I think too, it's just probably great for uh, the girls to like, just get used to this change in their body because it's a major change get used to it once they're they're like okay we're on a regular cycle we know the flow i know what's going on then introduce something new i I, it could be very overwhelming right and they're young we're talking about 11 and 12 year old kids that you know they're not usually mature enough to really understand the mechanics of putting that in removing it how often to remove it make sure that it's actually been wet before removing it, all those kinds of things. So usually they're not mature enough yet. But I do have particularly athletic kids in the practice that, you know, are competitive athletes that feel much more comfortable using tampons because they're running or jumping or swimming or or whatever the case is. But usually they're, you know, several months or years into their period before regular tampon use. Okay, so that's good. That's good information. Is there anything else we need to know about girls specifically and puberty or is it like the main thing is just like the development of the breasts the hair growth and the period well i think there's the whole emotional piece but oh, God, before we move on to that, that Jesus, dr dina like I'd, l- I'd love to mention the the breast piece first because this is very very common breast buds are often asymmetric and a lot of girls and women have asymmetric breasts once they have full developed breasts so it's really really common to have breasts that look different from one another, obviously different from our mothers, our sisters, our friends. Nipples can look different side by side. One breast could be half a size or a size or even more bigger than the other. They can have a different shape. That often causes a lot of stress for girls that feel that they should have you know, perfectly symmetric breasts. And that often isn't the case. And breast buds early on in development usually are quite tender. So a lot of kids don't like the feeling of shirts on their chest. They don't like lying on their bellies. And that isn't a cause for concern. It is very typical to have sensitivity of the areola at breast bud development. Okay. So there, there's a lot to take in here, a lot to take in. And like you said, then there's the whole like hormonal, emotional stuff that goes along with it, which I think that scares me the most over any of it. But I got to ask before we go to break, do we see signs of those hormone um, like and that emotional stuff? before the period comes? Is it around the same time? Is there like a, 
you know, or does it change for everyone? It's really variable. But yeah, typically as the estrogen is increasing or testosterone is increasing, that's when we start to see the emotional business. So when breast buds are developing, that means the the girl is making more estrogen and that can make some kids more sensitive. And some kids never have it and never have PMS symptoms and have no change in their mood throughout their cycle. And other kids very much significantly do have that just as adult women. So it's variable. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. And while we take a break, I'm going to jump online and order um, like Costco sizes of like Tylenol to prepare myself for what is to come. Don't go anywhere. This is the parenting show right here on AM640 Toronto Radio. Welcome back to the Parenting Show with Pina Crispo from ChicMama.ca, Toronto's News. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. It is Sunday night and you are tuned into the Parenting Show right here on AM640 Toronto Radio. I'm your host, Pina Crispo of ChicMama.ca, and we've got Dr. Dina Kulik joining us. She is the founder of Kid Crew Medical, pediatrician, and mama, mama to four boys. Kudos to you. I bow, I bow down to you, Dr. Dina. Um, I've got one boy, Marcus, and, you know, we just spent some time talking about girls and puberty, but I am really scared about Marcus because I don't know what to expect because I don't have a penis and I am not a boy, right? And I'm sure that a lot of moms out there are probably, you know, feeling the same way. I didn't even grow up with boys. I don't have a brother. Marcus is turning seven and I know that I have a little bit of time, I think. Do I? I have some time. You, you definitely have some time. Yeah. Okay. So typically for boys, we start seeing early signs of puberty, like their testicles getting bigger, which is one of the first things that happen. And they get a bit more hairy. Then the penis lengthens and then the penis gets thicker. That's sort of like how things happen with the genitalia. So oh testicles get bigger, they get more hairy, the penis gets longer, then it gets thicker. And near the ender stages, so something like 15, 16, that's when we start to see more facial hair, big growth spurt, and that voice deepening that people think about so much when they think about boys in pu- and periods, <laughs> boys in puberty. Right? It's that, it's that awkward voice. Like, I remember my nephews, I was like, what happened to you guys when they, when their voice started to change? I'm like, oh my gosh. So boys hit a little bit later than girls. Yes. On average, two to four years later. Okay. So when you say they get more hairy, are we talking about just in a certain spot in the groin area? Or are we just talking like overall? Well, it's, if you could imagine where the triangle area would be in a girl, like where you, you know, wax or where the underwear would cover, it's similar areas. So they don't typically get hair on the penis itself, but they usually get hair at the base of the penis, like on top where that triangle is, Mm -hmm. and then kind of around the base of the penis and then over the scrotum on top of the testicles. Okay. So hair there under the arms. And in the arms. Yep. And, uh, okay. So we got it. We got to look for that. So just like the girls have that, um, the different stages that we were talking about, is there something like that for boys? Yeah. So it's the same idea. So again, the hair piece, as I mentioned with girls, so basically no hair, very fine downy hair in 10 or two more thick, coarse hair, but just kind of in that area 
where that triangle is, uh, but not on the shaft of the penis typically. And then, you know, hair kind of all over and going onto the onto the legs. And the testicles are growing during the stage. The scrotum, the sac that holds the testicles, will also grow over that time. It'll look lower. The testicles look bigger. They they are bigger if you were to actually touch them. More hair, longer penis, and then thicker penis at the final stages. Okay. Now I have another question. This is, I am terrified of this. So you know how um, they say that a lot of boys will wake up with an erection. When does that happen? Usually around 12 to 13. Okay. So that. And And you likely will not be aware of it. It's not something that I see a lot of kids talking about with their parents, but that's the beginning of hormones, right? And that's when you're starting to see those changes. That's when their testicles are getting bigger. Their penis is getting bigger. They might be already starting to have that growth spurt, typically far before they get facial hair um, or their voice starts to crack. But those are what we would consider like 10 or two kind of stages, the equivalent for girls, that breast bud development stage. Okay. So that's when we can expect them, whether they tell us or not, waking up with an erection. I'm just so And, and by that- the way, many kids, many boys have erections far before that. So some newborn babies have erections. Little kids will have erections far before these periods of time that we're talking about because the penis works. There's blood flow to the penis. They do get erections. But it is usually around age 12 or later that they start having erections with regard to sexualized thoughts. So that's when erections happen naturally because there's blood flow to those areas, but they're also starting to feel aroused. And they may not be really thinking about, you know, they don't know what sex is per se. Most kids don't but they might be starting to feel those hormones and like feel good feelings, though it isn't necessarily about another individual or about, you know, someone in a sexualized way, but they start getting more blood flow and and thinking more things feel good when my penis is touched or when I touch my penis or when clothes touch my penis. It's not quite sexualized yet though, typically. I'm about to pass out. oh my God, I seriously like, now the girl stuff seems like, okay, I've got that. I feel okay about that. But this just was like, oh my God, I don't know what to expect with Marcus. I don't know what to do. Um, So now not too long ago, Marcus was saying to me that, you know, oh mama, like I can't sleep. My penis, you know, feels weird, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's bothering me. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, just try to relax and go to sleep. I'm sure it'll be fine. And he was like, okay. And I was wondering if that was maybe, you know, like, it's so weird. Like I'm looking at him in his pajamas. I'm like, I don't see anything. And I'm like, okay, I I think it's okay. But yeah, could that have been like, early stages of maybe or like maybe it was an erection well not likely related to puberty per se because he's he's young for that and he mm-hmm. doesn't have signs of puberty but absolutely young kids young boys get erections all the time but also it's a really sensitive organ so it's not that it only becomes se- sensitive during puberty the penis and the vulva are sensitive from birth so a lot of little boys and little girls will say that their genitalia feels uncomfortable or it doesn't feel comfortable in this kind of underwear or it only feels comfortable if it's in underwear and not just, you know, airing out. Gotcha. And uh, little little girls, especially, I find many, many little girls that are three, four or five 
complain about their vulva being itchy or sensitive or uncomfortable. And it has nothing to do with puberty. It just is a very sensitive organ. It always was. It always will be. And that could be a little bit irritating to some kids. Okay. As scared as I am and freaked out, like I feel good having this conversation with you and you like filling me in because like now I'm like, I know what to expect, especially with the fact that I am a female, you know, and I've got a son. And so I can't speak to him through experience. So thank you for this information. You're welcome. <laughs> um, We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be back with more. We've got Dr. Dina Kulik joining us, pediatrician, founder of Kid Crew Medical and mama of four. This is Parenting Show right here on AIM 640 Toronto Radio. Listening to the Parenting Show with Pina Crispo from ChicMama.ca, Toronto's News. Today's talk, six forty, Toronto. Welcome back. This is the Parenting Show right here on AM six forty, Toronto Radio. We are talking with Dr. Dina Kulik, pediatrician and founder of Kid Crew Medical and Mama of Four. We're talking all about puberty on the show today because I was like, I need help. I need to be prepared. I need to know how to prepare my kids, specifically my oldest, who's a girl. And uh, and so, Dr. Dina, we spoke about girls. We spoke about boys and what changes we can expect and, you know, uh, what happens and how we can kind of prepare for that. But one thing that we didn't touch upon, and we were kind of just talking about it uh, during the break, off the air um, is something that I never really or was never really talked about in school when I was a kid or at home. And I, I know that it has a lot to do um, with growing up European and, and being an Italian kid, you know, first generation Canadian. But you'd mentioned that, you know, sometimes boys will touch themselves because it feels good, you know. And I think a lot of the time we do think about boys, but we don't really think about girls. And it's not something we really talk about. So should we, should we chat about that a little bit? Sure, <laughs> sure. So I think initially it's important to recognize that most typically when boys or people with penises start touching themselves, it's often not sexualized at all. It's not necessarily thinking about another person or you know thinking about sex, which they don't really understand yet most typically, but it just feels good. They know that it feels good, so they pleasure themselves because it feels good. Usually it's later, a few years later, when they really start to think about the other sex or the same sex or someone that they're sexually attracted to. But girls do the same. It's not something that's normalized, but I think when many of us think about going, boys going through puberty, I think a lot of people think about, oh, that means they're going to start to masturbate. But girls do the same but it's not really spoken about. So just as boys are starting to feel, oh, this feels good, and they're at an age through puberty that they can actually ejaculate, and that feels good for them, girls often will start to touch themselves far before they're starting to have sexualized feelings at all. And even little girls do, right? I hear from families all the time of little girls that are pleasuring themselves on their bed by rubbing themselves against it, or the chair, you know, the edge of the chair in the family room. And this often happens even when they're three, four, five years of age, but often will increase if they feel comfortable enough to do so and they feel like it's not a scary or dangerous thing, which I really think it's very, very important as parents to normalize self-pleasure because it is normal and I don't want people, kids 
girls and boys to feel like it's dangerous or unsafe or risky in some ways with clean hands by yourself on your own quiet time. But girls will do it as well. And I think that's important to recognize that it's not just boys that are self-pleasuring themselves. So how do we as parents, like, how do we even like start that conversation? I think it depends on the family. It depends on your dynamic with your with your child. But I think if you ever see them touching, a lot of little girls and little boys pre-puberty will start to put their hands in their pants or rub on things. And even then, when they're five or six or you know 10 years of age, to say, I know that feels good. Your penis or your vulva is sensitive and it feels good when you touch it. And that's okay to do. But the way I put it is, I want you to have clean hands because your hands may not be that clean and you don't want to touch yourself without clean hands. And it's best to do it when you're by yourself, not because it's bad or scary or dangerous, but because it might make other people around feel uncomfortable. Good. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I'm taking notes here. I'm taking notes. Um, Yeah. Because honestly, it's like, you don't want them to feel shame from something like that, which is very natural. You know what I mean? And that's something that like I said, was never talked about when I was growing up and uh, growing up, you know, Italian, Catholic, it was very like wrong. And it was, it's something to like, you know what I mean? There was a lot of shame associated with it. So yeah, I think the key thing here is don't make it a big deal. Yeah. Normalize it because it's normal. It is totally normal for girls and boys of really all ages, little boys, will often start to pull on their penis. I get asked this very, very often from uh, parents of younger boys. They're not stroking it. They often will pull on it. And a lot of parents think, well, they're hurting themselves or they must be Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Oh my God, are they going to hurt themselves? Yeah, yeah, but they don't. And that is, for whatever reason, what feels good for them. And they often will do it like, you know, like sucking your thumb or biting your nails or not even paying attention. And little girls more typically tend to hump inanimate objects versus touching at these younger ages. But yes, it's normal behavior. It feels good. Just like it might feel good to play with your earlobe. Some little kids will tweak their nipples. Some little kids will play with their belly buttons. It feels nice when the genitalia is touched, but there's a time and a place with clean hands. Wow. Okay. There's a lot of info to take in, a lot of info. Um, So we've talked about the girls. We've talked about the boys. We've talked about stuff that we can um, expect leading into puberty. uh, Once puberty hits, how we can prepare, having those open lines of communication, booking those appointments with our healthcare provider to help us as parents have the talk with our little ones to help prepare them. What else? Is there anything else we need to know, Dr. Dina, when it comes to puberty and dealing with our girls and boys? I think it's important to mention that because you're going through puberty doesn't necessarily mean that a child yet knows who they're attracted to. They're not mutually exclusive. Because you're a boy and you're getting a bigger penis and you're getting taller, it doesn't necessarily mean that that individual has sexual attraction yet to boys or girls or both. And same with with uh, a girl. The other really important thing to mention, there was a whole topic in itself, is someone with a vagina doesn't necessarily feel that they're female. And someone with a penis doesn't necessarily feel that they are male. Mm-hmm. And if your child is having struggles with that, even from a very young age, even for three or four or five, where your child is struggling with their anatomy, 
it's very important, I think, to discuss that with your healthcare provider because being uncomfortable with one's gender, gender dysphoria, while that could mean that your child is transgender or non-binary or some other option, that's something that can cause a lot of stress for families and for kids. And it's a good idea to have a conversation with your doctor so that the right kind of people can pursue that to better understand your child and support your child through their feelings. Yeah. And I think that that is something that, um, you know, has been coming up a lot more over the past few years. And I think that it's fantastic because, you know, I know that it was very different for anyone going through that, you know, back in the day, say when I was a kid. Right. So now, like you said, we've got the internet and we've got these amazing resources. And I think just having those open lines of communications with, our kids talking about this stuff and really listening to them. You know what I mean? And if there is something that they're just like, mommy, daddy, I am not comfortable with this. Or, um, you know, I feel this and is this normal um, that we really like listen and we communicate and we take this seriously. And we have a chat, like you said, with our healthcare providers, right? Um, Because it doesn't have to be this way or that way. There's lots of in between. And we don't have, our children don't have to know. They don't have to feel it or know it yet. But if they are feeling confused or unsure, then 100%, the open dialogue is really, really important and has dramatic long-term effects for these kids to know that they had open line of communication, supportive parents, supportive community, and that we don't have to make decisions because you look like this doesn't mean you are this on the inside. And because you are this sex, you should be attracted to that sex. That's not the way life is. There's so much variation and gray, and it's important to have those conversations. And if you don't know anything about these topics, there are absolutely people to talk to that do and have more comfort with it. Amazing. I love it. I love it. And I'm like so happy that we had you on the show today to have this conversation. Um, I feel better. I feel better. I'm not going to say that I'm not 100% like, you know what I mean? Like ready to jump into things and I'm not scared at all. There is still a little bit of fear, you know what I mean? Of the unknown and uncertainty of things, but um, all the information you provided us with today, I, um, I, I paid attention. I've taken note and I'm sure all the parents listening at home have done the same. Dr. Dina, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Because I know where to find you and you are a wealth of knowledge and your content is fantastic, but where can people find you? Thank you very much. So I have a kid's health blog at drdina.ca, D-R-D-I-N-A.ca, kidcrew.com, K-I-D-C-R-E-W.com. And on social media, I am everywhere at Dr. Dina Kulik on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube and all the places. Guys, go check her out. Follow, like I said, Um, we were talking about finding like sources online information online that is not good follow dr dina and you can you can just rest assured that everything that she's putting out there is top notch and uh she will have the answers for you and puts and puts out like some amazing content and sometimes like honestly dr dina like i'll come across your stuff and i just like howl laughing because i'm like yes she understands because she's not only a pediatrician she is a mama so thank you thank you for everything that you do and thank you for joining us on the show today Thank you so much for having me. Guys, that is it for us. Uh, but we will catch you guys next week right here on The Parenting Show. I'm your host, Pina Crispo of chicmama.ca. And you've been listening to us on AM640 Toronto Radio. Radio.